Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla wa anta tajul al-hazna idha shi'la sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya rabbil kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hope you guys are all doing good. Um, Alright, so we are... A lot of static, Shaz. Have you, what, what was the problem last time with the... Is the problem with cable or the mic's gone? No. Let us know, folks, whether it's got better or not, yeah? Also, I want to say that the camera is very high as well, Shaz. Camera needs to be brought down. No, no. It needs to be more in and down. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a delay, isn't it? They're saying it's still static, yeah. Um, yeah, well, you need to. Turn this around, Zafar. Uh, Nazif, turn this around so you can see it. Is it picking up the audio? No? Huh? Is it picking it up, you mean? No, Have you got the audio mixer on here? Then it's not, it's not even on, is it? No. You mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, obviously, the static will find out whether it is. This one here, you need to bring it down, and we keep it down like that as well. Yeah, keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm. Okay, there, right there. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Audio? Um. No, it seems it seems like there's it's still there. No. Cable. I think it's the snowballs. I think the connector's probably gone. You sure that you got it in that you not um. The uh, software, I mean, has chosen the right microphone, yeah? Yeah, snowballs at the bottom. Good? Yeah? It's going to be volume low. Yeah. So... I'm going to switch it back. Now? Has it gone back to the original uh, static? It's fixed. No, 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 just put it back to the high. Check it. Right, okay. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll uh, go with that, although how the cable gets faulty just like that. No, it's not the cable, I think it's the connector at the end of the snowball. Inside the snowball? Yeah, yeah, the end of the Let's get that on the list then, inshallah. All right, sorry about that, folks. All right, so um, we are in the text. Oh, it's gone, it's gone worse, Shaz. It's, gone, it's messed up again. 
Just put it put, put it back to where it was on the low volume. Um, but but if it if it's if it's if it's the connector, then going to three wouldn't fix it, would it? Why would it get better if you put it back to three? Uh, what other mic do we have with us here? The what you mean actually on the Braille? Ah. Yes. No. It's yeah. volume is okay. It's better. All right. Inshallah, we'll get it fixed for for next week. Inshallah. Um, yeah. So in terms of the text, we are on page three hundred. Uh, sorry, in, in terms of the commentary, we are page three hundred and ninety-four. And in terms of the uh, text of today, then we are. Yeah, just carrying on. Um, what are we going to say? We're going to say. Um, we we'll must read all of it. يجوز الجمع بين ظهرين وبين الإشاعين في وقت إحداهما في صفر قصر ولمريد يلحقه بترك بتركه مشقة وبين الإشاعين لمطر يبل الثياب ووحل وريح شديدة باردة ولو صلى في بيته. That's what we're covering today. ولو صلى في بيته أو في مسجد طريقه تحت سابات والأفضل فعل الأرفق به من تأخير وتقديم. فإن جمع في وقت الأولى اشترط نية الجمع عند إحرامها ولا يفرق لا ولا يفرق. That's a mistake in the the text, Mesa. If you can uh, uh, correct that, please. ولا يفرق. ولا يفرق بينهما إلا إلا بمقدار إقامة ووضوء خفيف. ويبطل براتبة بينهما وأن يكون العذر موجودا عند افتتاحما والسلام الأولى. We might cover all of that today, or certainly we're going to get into that. All right. So it is also permissible to combine the two isha prayers due to a rain which soaks the clothes, or muddy conditions, or strong cold wind. That's what we covered last week. Today, whether he prays at home or the route to his masjid is covered by a roof. It is best for him to choose that which is easiest, whether that is choosing the earlier time or the later time for combining. If he prays them both at the earlier time, then there's a number of conditions. From them, he must make the intention for combining before he starts that first prayer. He doesn't delay in between the two prayers for longer than when it takes to do a quick wudu and give the iqamah. And the combining will be invalidated if one prays the formal sunan prayers in between. And finally, the fourth of these conditions, the excuse for combining is present before he starts the first prayer and remains at least until he completes that first prayer. So that's what we're talking about today. Obviously, sounds a bit kind of random, but it all makes sense, inshallah. All right, so we've been covering, obviously, and speaking a lot about the, everything to do with um, combining so far, and we spoke in detail about the rain um, and the levels of rain, etc. And at the end of last week's lesson, if you remember, we had that discussion, what happens if the imam uh, decides not to combine, for example, or they kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, and there's a person that wants to do that, 
then we had that chat, you know, we said that why would he pray in the masjid anyway? And why would he just not go home and then pray anyway regardless? And all of that. Now we want to just kind of extend that a bit further as well. Now we're speaking about a person who um, is not actually suffering any kind of problems as a result of the rain. And it's been expressed in two ways. First of all, the person who's at home didn't even go to the masjid. And second, the person who on the way to the masjid and back to the masjid is, is so easy. It's like as if it's like a continued... Uh, a continuous kind of uh, structure because when he, when he steps out of his house it's all covered like uh, or whatever that thing's called what's that thing called? canopy exactly that's what I was looking for canopy and you find that a lot in markets by the way uh, and of course when you look at the kind of structure of our type of masajid in the villages and the towns and whatever you'll find that in, in a lot of the built up areas especially in markets the marketplace is covered with a canopy and then so therefore then is the route to the masjid. And therefore, the whole point of rain causing problems, mud causing problems, all of that is a non-issue. And what's interesting is that the Hanbali school, even though there's some difference of opinion in it, but the author is very clear. He goes, this is for, this concession is for everyone. Even if they're at home and even if they're coming to the masjid and they're not being affected by it. And ultimately, they're, 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 they're justifying that by saying that, well, what activates the concession is the rain, not necessarily whether you start to suffer difficulty or not as a result of it, okay? Or that the difficulty might change, for example. So, it might, so, so the, 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 the concession has been activated, the level of difficulty is one at a certain level at a certain moment, but then the, the level of difficulty changes. Does that mean that you now no longer can avail of the concession if you've already started? I mean, that's going to come later on tonight. But the key there is, is that if it rains, we're in. It's like activated, press the button. That's their approach. The majority will say absolutely not, of course. And um, what's interesting is who disagreed within the madhab. And Maj, the grandfather of Ibn Taymiyyah, who's of course an, an authority in the Hanbali school, he didn't like this opinion either. Neither did Sheikh Uthameen. And let's see what he says. Um, well, he liked some of it, but he didn't, doesn't like the rest. What did he say? He goes, the way that, the most important first thing is the way that he said that. Even if, and I think I, I translated that as well, did I not? Uh, whether, yeah. I, I've, I've mentioned whether. Whether he prays, not whether as in whether. W-H-E-T-H-E-R. So all these combining, everything can happen, whether he prays at home or the way that the masjid is covered by a roof. And we said before, this weather, or even, in Arabic is low, wallow, even if, and that always indicates that there's a difference of opinion amongst the scholars or amongst the madhab itself. It's an indicator, it's a clue. And Sheikh Uthameen says that that's right, there is a difference of opinion. And there are some scholars, he said, that said it's absolutely not permissible to combine at home just because it's raining outside. You're at home, it's running outside, what are you combining for? Yeah? Um, and likewise, if the masjid is covered. He goes, the stronger opinion to me, to myself, the stronger opinion, Sheikh Uthameen, he goes that it is permissible to combine in the masjid if your route to the masjid is covered. So if the route to the masjid is covered and you're safe and so on, he can, but his reasoning is different. He's now not talking about difficulty and that he's miskeen and needs to be given a concession, but rather to take advantage of the jama'ah. So imagine that there are other people there that are doing it anyway, 
and that therefore he had no problem at all. He came, his route was straight in, straight out and dry and no hassle. But because they're going to pray a jama'ah, then to get the reward of the jama'ah, or to not miss out rather on the, the reward of the jama'ah, we're going to allow that person to pray Salatul Isha at that earlier time because they're praying it together with Maghrib and Isha, if that's what was, being, that's what was happening. So he's kind of gone down that line. Not the strongest of reasonings, frankly, but that's his position. Um, from a class position myself, I, I, I find it difficult to justify that, but I'm also happy to, you know, to continue that line. I think that, um, that I think what people, uh, listen, there's going to be a takeaway message from here, isn't it? And that takeaway message, I think, finally will be realized that the combining of the prayer is not something which is necessarily linked to extreme difficulty. And I don't think that's a bad thing. We had a big discussion of the philosophy of, you know, whether we should be promoting combining or not. And, you know, whether people are going to abuse it more or they're not. And you just got, sometimes you just got to trust the people to have some common sense. Sometimes you just got to give them that way out. And the, obviously it gets a bit more dangerous, not dangerous, it becomes a bit more kind of blurred when you've got this kind of scenario where there's not an issue of difficulty or emergency, but it's about trying to get extra reward. Then the situation can get out of control, Right. But anyway, generally, you're going to realize that it's nothing, nothing to do with traveling. It's nothing to do with X, Y, Z. It's to do with generally creating a circumstance of ease for people or some options when there are few options or trying to achieve as much unity as possible. Some general principles will allow the combining of the prayer. So I'm okay with that point. And I completely agree with what he's going to say about the house. He goes, as for the house, then he goes, this is, of course, needs some nuance. And there are three scenarios of a person at home. The first scenario, we a person is at home <laughs> But he's at home for a reason. He's at home because he's either ill or he's at home because he is, uh, it's actually raining so hard outside that he doesn't want to step out, for example. And according to our author, this person can combine the prayer. He said that anyone praying at home can combine. He goes, the second person that will be at home will a person who has no excuse. So he's actually at home, but he's not sick, he's not ill, he's got no issues whatsoever, and he had no intention to come to the masjid anyway either. He goes, this person can also combine according to our author, because the author has made a very general sweeping statement, even if he prays at home. Who prays at home? Then he goes, the third person, he goes, he's also included those people who don't even go to the masjid. So if there are women at home who had no intention to go to the masjid, couldn't go to the masjid, yeah, family X, Y, Z, he goes, he's given them the permission as well to combine. So Sheikh says that, obviously this is, you know, a summarized kind of rule, uh, 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 text. It's not a detailed text by Imam al-Hajjawi, by Imam al-Hajjawiyah. Uh, he uh, uh, is not, um, you know, giving all the full details when he makes his statement. He goes, but the stronger and the clarity and the summarized final position is that all of these three people cannot combine at home. Whether that person's sick or ill, or whether that person, uh, and he makes the caveat that, of course, if a person is sick, independent of the rain, and he cannot yani, ha hold out till, to, to start to Isha, or the other way around, because of the illness, and he needs that kind of concession, that person can combine anyway, but it's got nothing to do with this then, it's got nothing to do with the rain. So the first one, the guy who's got yeah, no excuse, he can't, uh, the guy who's uh, raining outside, it's not permissible for him to combine. The second guy who's got no excuse whatsoever anyway, he can't combine. And the third category, people don't even come into it because they don't go to the masjid anyway. They're not from Ahlul Jama'ah. They're not from the people of, com of, of the congregation, so they don't combine anyway. He goes, uh, and Sheikh, he makes a point here. He goes, 
making almost an excuse for Imam al-Hijab. He says that, and I think that when, when he talks about the people who go to the masjid and pray there, even though they've not been affected by the rain, I think their intent by that is that so they cannot miss out on the jama'ah. They cannot miss out, which is, as I said, this continuous kind of theme that the jama'ah is so important that if they're going to pray it and then you're going to get there, you know, your own time and there's no one going to be there, at least you get the jama'ah right now. We're going to be speaking about this a little bit later as well. So anyway, that's the position. So in summary, you shouldn't be praying, combine the prayer at home, whatever the reason is, if it's raining, because if you're at home, you're at home and that's it. You can pray on time. You're not going to be going to the masjid anyway. You should be making your own jama'ah at home with whoever's around uh, as per the rules of the congregation. All right. He goes then, that the author now tells us what's the principle underlying the use of the combining of the prayer? The fact that whatever it causes ease, greater ease for the person who needs it. And that's what we should be doing. And the Hanbalis have said that's regardless of whether it means delaying the prayer or bringing the other one forward. So either pushing the two back later or bringing the two in early, whatever is going to make it easier, you should go for it. Now the reason now again, you should be thinking, why would someone speak about that? Because there are some scholars that said there can't be this kind of choice. There's, only, there's a certain preferred method, and that's what's got to be followed. And whereas our author is saying that actually whatever works in the interest of the person is what should be given preponderance to. Um, Sheikh says that the evidence for this principle is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, we've covered these before in Surah Al-Baqarah, يُرِيدُ Allah بِكُمُ الْيُسْرَ وَلَا يُرِيدُ بِكُمُ الْعُسْرَ Allah wants ease for you, He doesn't want difficulty for you, Surah Al-Baqarah 185. Also the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, in which he said in Hadith al-Bukhari, Hadith, uh, in, in, it doesn't mention the number, actually it does, 39, uh, Hadith number 39, Prophet ﷺ said, in الدِّينِ يُسْرَ, that this religion is easy. This religion is ease. Alright? And then number three, the Hadith of Mu'adh. The Hadith of Mu'adh, Radiallahu ta'ala anhu, narrated by Imam Ahmad, narrated by uh, Imam Abu Dawood, narrated by Imam Tirmidhi. The narration in Tirmidhi is narrated 553. Um, and he said that Mu'adh radiallahu an narrated that the Prophet was at Tabuk, okay, and, um, and when the situation yani, was about to. Uh, 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 Yani when we're about to get into it, the, um, he delayed the Dhuhr uh, prayer until it was Asr time. So that he, uh, uh, and then he would pray those together. And if the situation was that he needed to go earlier um, or leave earlier, uh, then, uh, uh, sorry, uh, when, it, when the situation was that he needed to leave later, then to get the prayer out of the way, he would bring the Asr forward until Dhuhr. And so the Dhuhr and Asr would be prayed together. Basically, what the Prophet Sallallahu did was to look at what time he was leaving. And depending upon what time he was leaving, he would choose for each scenario the, the best combining option. Sometimes he would bring Asr forward and pray at the early time. And other times he would push the Dhuhr back and pray it later with Asr, depending upon when he's leaving, how that's going to affect the actual journey uh, the journey itself. So that's three evidences. Uh, ayah, direct hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. Third, practice of the Prophet ﷺ. That's narrated by Mu'adh. Number four, number four, these are the evidences. This is like the logical evidence. That combining the prayer, it has been legislated for only one reason, that's to make things easy for, uh, for people. 
right? And so whatever is going to be the easiest, arfaq, most kind, the most gentle, and most yani, whatever, then that's going to be the best. He goes, likewise, that's for the, uh, this should be applied for the one who's ill. When a person's ill, they should look to their situation and assess what kind of concession do I need, right? My illness, how is it affecting me? Is it that when I wake up, I feel terrible? Is it that when I'm awake for a while, I feel great? Or is it that this, or is it that I can't get up? Or is it that I have a problem with wudu? Whatever it is, a person assesses their need and they act accordingly. Um, and so if he needs to delay one or push the other one forward or bring it forward, he does that. Sheikh says, if it rains, what is actually better? To pray Isha with Maghrib or pray Maghrib with Isha later? Now, we kind of said that about two weeks ago, I think, or whatever, that common sense would be saying that the darker it is, obviously at Maghrib time there's still a little bit of light, and when it's rain and super, super dark, you'd think that it's more difficult, right? Generally because it's just more, just more difficult. Sheikh says that the better thing to do is to bring it forward, meaning to pray Isha with the Maghrib prayer. Yeah? That's easier upon the people. And that's why whenever you look at people, you, you've never seen people you know, pushing the prayer back. That wouldn't make any sense. They've come to the masjid, then that's the whole point. Right? And he goes, but, this is an important point. He goes, but this, of course, is contingent upon the fact that we agree with the author in which he said that it's only the two Isha prayers that are eligible for rain combining, right? Because that's what he said, that's the Hanbali official position. That when it comes to combining for the rain, the evidence only was, was you know, happened in the, the e evening and therefore it's only applicable in the evening. We've said our class position is, is that if it rains during the daytime and it's a headache, then you can use it for the Dhuhr and Asr as well. And we said we went even further. We said it's not even about the rain. If it rains or hails or any other kind of difficulty that you see or perceive, that's enough to allow you to combine if you find a reason to combine, as long as you're responsible and disciplined about it. Okay? Um, so he goes, obviously, for us, it's not about it being brought forward uh, 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 across the board. He goes, if we're combining between Dhuhr and Asr because of rain as well, then it might be actually a whole lot easier to delay. Because what you do is that you'd only come to the masjid once then, right? So you wouldn't pray your dhuhr, you would make the intention of going to delay this, you'd come late for Salat al-Asr, you'd pray your dhuhr and asr in Salat time, uh, you'd let you know, a few minutes go by, half an hour, whatever, Maghrib kicks in, <coughs> yeah? Maghrib then kicks in, you'd pray Maghrib and then Isha, and you're able to get all four prayers in congregation within an hour. And that's the greatest result ever if you're looking for reward and you're looking to minimize the hassle for people coming in and out in a bad storm, hail, etc. So this is the Sheikh's point. He goes, this uh, statement about what's better is also contingent upon your opinion whether it's allowed even to combine for the rain in the daytime, which we said is allowed. <coughs> Sheikh then says, um, Sheikh says that if you... Uh, yeah. He makes a point here. He goes, by the way, just to clarify, he goes that just in case we, you, uh, any of you misunderstand this point, when we talk about delaying 
and praying at the earlier time and later time. It doesn't mean at the beginning of the first prayer and the end of the second prayer. It means praying in any of the time periods. Yes, yeah, so if Dhuhr starts at 1 o'clock and Asr starts at 4 and Maghrib starts at 6, it doesn't mean that you've only got two options, to pray Dhuhr and Asr at 1 o'clock and, uh, and, uh, uh, or Dhuhr and Asr at 5.45. You get my point? Or whatever. It means any time. If you're doing it early, then it's any time between 1 and 3. And if you're doing it 1 and 4, sorry. And if you're doing the other way around, you're praying your Dhuhr delayed with, uh, with, uh, with Asr, then any time between 4 and 6, basically. Does that make sense? Yeah? So that's, that's the important point to remember. Sheikh said that in this discussion, we do have an exception. And that exception is the combining on the day of Arafah. On the combining of the day of Arafah, then there's no doubt that the majority of them has said that it is better to make Jama'u Taqdeem. Jama'u Taqdeem means to bring the Asr one forward. And we've said that the other day because we want to get the prayers out of the way, quote-unquote, so we can then focus on our dua in the places which are going to be a headache to then get back to uh, uh, from a masjid and then back again Okay um, He goes And as for Muzdalifah There's no doubt that to delay that You know to push Maghrib back And pray it with Isha When you get to Muzdalifah Which is at least an hour walk If you walked it Okay Is definitely better Because you want to Allow the person to focus On what's important Like when we do our Hajj um, one of the things that um, your, your uh, logistics people, the Saudi company that, that uh, runs the, the, the things, the, the, the whole system, um, what they uh, give you is the, they don't really give you this option, but, uh, but if you know about this thing, then you insist on taking this option, which is that you do not want to be from the people who leave Arafah straight away. So I want you to understand, yeah? That, that when it comes to Hajj, the Hajj is all about Arafah. It's the single biggest, most important pillar of the Hajj. It's called a Rukan. Yeah, we've obviously we know uh, uh, Shurut, Arkan, Wajibat. The Rukan of Hajj is to stand at Arafah. But that Rukan is fulfilled by standing there for any time of the day, morning or night time for one minute. That's it. Or one second. That's all you need to do. But then you have obligations. And the obligation of Hajj which is crazy to say it's not very important. Of course, an obligation is important, but it doesn't ruin your hajj if you didn't do it. Like, for example, let's say you came in the morning, or let's say you arrived on a, fly, on a flight, and you arrived into Arafah, where it's completely empty because you've arrived at midnight. Right? And everyone left like six hours ago, for example. Technically speaking, your hajj is valid because you came onto Arafah. Right? Because you got within a, a minute of the, the time. Or Fajr time. It's easier. That's a complicated one. It's a Fajr of Arafah. Yeah? Where nobody's there whatsoever. And then you left immediately. Because you had some emergency or whatever, whatnot. You fulfilled the Rukan of Hajj. But you didn't fulfill the obligation, which is you've got to be there until Maghrib. And so what you do? You just do a sacrifice. And people will do that. And there are people who do that intentionally, of course. They want to get the one up on the people. They won't consider to stay at Muzdalifah to be an obligation. They don't, they don't mind, uh, sorry, they don't see it as a pillar. They see it as an obligation. They see staying until Maghrib as an obligation. So they say, that's fine. That's two sheep that I will uh, slaughter. Yeah? And so they will come to Arafah in the morning. They'll get off, back to hotel in Makkah. Makkah, whole day, all buzzing, all empty. 
no worst night of their life in Muzdalifah, no nothing. And then they were the first people that are there and do the tawaf and nasa'i when it's completely empty. Then they go and do jamarat yani when, you know, people are, it's like a buzz. And what? It only cost them a couple hundred quid because, you know, they're happy to pay their way through it. Now, obviously, there's more details to say, well, you know, is it permissible to intentionally miss out? There's a discussion there. So anyway, the point I'm making is that um, because it's an obligation, everybody is going to wait until Maghrib on the day of Arafah before they leave. But because there's three million people, there's like officially two million, then there's the other one million who are illegal. Yeah? There's three million people who are looking to leave at the same time. Bro, it's only that much space and it's only that much roads, right? And so what happens is that there's the most mahusive traffic jam ever and complete, complete chaos and everything. And so we, like our group, uh, the, the one that we take, right? Um, we negotiate with the organizers and say, you know, a bit of back and forth. And we say, we want to have the permission to not be amongst the first people to leave. And they tell us that that's a big mistake and that's not right and that's going to cost you. And the, what's the cost? The cost is that you're going to arrive in Muzdalifah and it's going to be packed. And you're going to get to Muzdalifah and you're going to have to sleep in some ditch, basically. And every year I'm saying, you get there first and you're sleeping in a ditch anyway. So what's the difference? Yeah? yeah and you, you go arrive early, you sleep in a ditch and you've got space for your arms. And then you arrive late, you're going to sleep in a ditch and you've got no space for your arms, but you've got my guy on top of you. That's okay, bro. It's hajj. That's how, that's, how it, that's how it goes. Although this year, absolute madness. We had the most amazing space ever in human history. But that's, the, uh, you know, that's, the, that's a fluke. So the point being that the people who are leaving, like the vast majority, they don't even complete their dua until Maghrib because their groups have told them that they've got to be back in their tents, ready to get on there on the coach as soon as Maghrib kicks in. It's horrible. Their whole Arafah experience is horrible. Whereas ours is like, don't worry about the coach, don't worry about the bus, don't worry about yani, the people leaving. You just focus on the Maghrib, you focus on the sun, you focus on your dua. Now, it works magnificently. The experience is something which can't be described. This is the point that Sheikh Uthameen is speaking about. Imagine, now that mentality and how much amazing it is could also be ruined if you got to pray Maghrib right there and then. You understand what I'm trying to say? So by delaying the Prophet it's clear what he did. The Prophet did not leave until after Maghrib. And he didn't want Maghrib to be in the way on the hearts and minds of people. He wanted them to focus on dua. And that's why he delayed Maghrib and Isha to the Isha time. So that all of that focus is not having to stress about the dua finishing early and nice relaxed uh, leaving uh, out of Arafah. We'll get to Muzdalifah. When we get to Muzdalifah, <coughs> then we'll pray it straight away there and then. Now, of course, this is a sunnah, right? This aspect of combining the prayer in uh, 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 Maghrib uh, and Isha in uh, Muzdalifah. The reason I bring that point up is that people can also lose their minds a little bit and think that this is also another obligation of the Hajj. That you've got to pray Maghrib and Isha in Muzdalifah. No, no. It's a sunnah to delay it. Otherwise, you've got to pray the prayer where the prayer is due. And so, for example, um, if you know that the situation is so packed that you can't leave Arafah because it's just so busy and Salatul Isha is about to run out, you've got to pray there and then. And that's what happened to us in 2023. 2023. 
We played Maghrib Isha in 19 as well. Yeah. Right. In 19 and in 2023, the roots and the place and the X, Y, Z, basically we knew that if we were to risk leaving at the time we were leaving, we would end up with the potential chance of being on the bus when the Isha time is in the last moments. Does that make sense? And so I said, no, we're going to pray Maghrib and Isha right here, right now. You know what I'm saying? But in Isha time, but we prayed it in the uh, Arafah uh, point. The point I'm making is that Sheikh Uthameen says that it depends upon what the specific ease and concession that you want out of your situation. And that's on the basis that you will delay or bring something uh, forward. Um, Sheikh then asks a nice question. He goes, what if someone says that the pros and cons for delaying and bringing forward are the same? Taqdeem and Ta'khir, exactly the same. Which one then would you go for? Sheikh says, He goes, then, if they're both the same, no pros and no, no, no differences, then what's better is to delay the prayer because he goes, if he goes, you, uh, 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 he goes, you got to think about this in a kind of like a, a like a maths kind of uh, scenario. He goes, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is that you are not allowed to actually combine. Like, let's imagine that you thought that you were legitimately allowed to combine, yeah, but you weren't. The concession that you uh, thought that you had was not valid, yeah. And you decided to combine. He goes that if you delayed the prayer, dhuhr until the asr time, what's the worst that you've done? The worst that you've done is that you've delayed dhuhr from its correct time. Got it? That's the worst that you've done. Imagine that the whole combining was not valid. He goes, imagine now the other opposite, okay, uh, sorry, he, he continues and he goes, we know that actually to delay the prayer and make it later for a reason is something which is allowed. Yeah, and we've seen that actually throughout Sharia. How many hadith we've seen about that? You know, how many times do we give that ruling to people? You know, that if, if you can't, then you pray right at the last moment. Well, they need to delay a prayer from its original time is something which is far easier to give the fatwa for, to give the concession for. Amma taqdeem, but if you were to talk about bringing the prayer forward, if you messed that up, what have you done? You prayed a prayer before it even started. And we never ever can give a concession to a person to allow to pray a prayer before it's even been legislated. Does that make sense? So the fact of bringing a prayer forward to a time where it can't ever be prayed is clearly worse than delaying a prayer to the next kind of portion of the prayer where we've got so many scenarios. Like for example, you know when you forget the prayer and it's Maghrib and you didn't pray Salat al-Asr. Well, you just pray Salat al-Asr, it got delayed, meaning it always happens. But when, what scenario does it mean that you pray a prayer before it started? You hear what I'm saying? So this is a nice answer that he uh, 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 mentions here. Well, the consequences of that. Yeah, or, or the consequence of? Of, of uh, doing a prayer early. Yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, uh, the, you don't know the mistake I'm saying. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the reason I smiled at this is because someone was asking me today, one of the students was asking me today that, uh, uh, what do you think of the concept of hypothesizing? 
and the, the use of hypotheticals, that the Sahaba didn't used to do that. And that is true, actually. The Sahaba were not people who used to spend much time worrying about if this, if that, whatever. And they were just going to go and if the scenario put itself up, then they just deal with it. And, you know, therefore they were kind of making out that, you know, that Abu Hanifa and these kind of Ahlul Ra'i, they do a lot of, you know, thinking if this, if that, if this, if that, and this kind of hypothetical kind of scenarios. And this goes to show the one that I just gave you, these hypotheticals do actually help to cement and make clear uh, uh, an issue. Yeah, so, yeah, anyway. Um, by the way, there's nothing wrong in sleeping on a roundabout. People are hating on sleeping on a roundabout. Why would you hate on sleeping on a roundabout? You have no idea. When you get to Muzdalifah, you sleep anywhere. And sleeping on a roundabout is like the greatest place. It's like being upgraded to penthouse. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, man. She, she didn't have... Baji, sorry, yeah. She slept on a roundabout, yeah? We should say, you didn't have to go up the stairs, which I think, by the way, there's about 300 steps. You know, you got, when you think of a, 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 a flight of stairs, I don't know how many is an average, but I'm absolutely positive there's at least 300 steps in this thingy. In the stairs, it was the longest, highest step of uh, uh, flight of stairs I've ever gone up, ever. We had a gang of people, flipping champions, mujahideen, yeah, who did the water run. Remember? And the rug run, remember? And the rug run as well, all the way from the top, run all the way down, grab all the water, come all the way back up, then go all the way back down. And by just sitting there on the sleep, on the on the, uh, on, the, on, the on the roundabout, chilling. <laughs> right. Are any questions with respect to these parts of rain combining this that? Because now we're going to get into some technical parts of the um, the niya. What did we say? So this next section now. If he prays now the prayer, if this person now does jamu taqdim, let's get these words right. Jamu taqdim, praying at the earlier time. Jamu taqir, praying at the later time. Yeah. If you pray, the humbly say. The prayers, two of them, like Dhuhr and Asr in Dhuhr time, if you combine, then there are a number of conditions that they put. These are very famous, and you probably have thought about them before when you've done it as well. The first one is a very interesting one. That before you start that Dhuhr prayer, you have to intend to pray the Asr prayer before it as well. Yeah? And the idea there being that what you can't do is like finish the Dhuhr prayer, then turn around and say, you know what, it'd be good to pray Asr now. You know what I'm saying? And then stick the asr on, <coughs> buy one, get one free. So you know, this is the problem when it comes down to the, the combining Zikr and Rain. Yeah. This is, of course, why it's going to be refuted. Exactly that. I mean, just the rain itself will be the best response to this. All right. So, Sheikh says, when you do this, uh, bringing the, 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 the prayer forward, praying at the earlier time, the humbly say that the Niyyah has to be there, has to be at the, at, the, at, the, at the front before you even start. Well, the reason for that, he goes, what's their reasoning, the Hanbalis? He goes, when you're combining, then you've made the thing one whole. And if you're making something one whole, then it should be seen as one unit. And if you're seeing it as one unit, then the Niyyah has got to be at the beginning. And you can't be making a Niyyah in the middle of something and then claim it to be then one part, it's then two parts. This is the, the, the reasoning and the thinking behind it. Sheikh Uthameen, um, he says that therefore that if a person 
realized even 10 seconds into the prayer that, oh, sugar, that I should have made the intention for Asr. I forgot about that because I was going to, but I completely forgot. And now I want to. It's not allowed according to the Hanabila. And, and obviously, if he finishes the prayer, then he thinks, you know, it'd be nice to pray. That's not allowed as well. Sheikh Uthameen says that the correct opinion is that there is no condition like this. You don't have to have the niyyah before you start the first takbir, yeah? The ihram al-ula, the first opening takbir of the first prayer. And it is allowed for that person to make that niyyah for combining even after the salam of the first prayer, let alone halfway through, let alone a few seconds in, a few moments in, he thinks, you know what? Whilst I'm praying this, it'd be good to pray the Asr prayer. He goes, that's absolutely no problem. He goes, I'm telling you, even after the prayer has finished the first one and you look and you think to yourself, I could do with praying that second prayer right now, actually. Then he goes, there's something allowed. He goes, as long though, he goes, the condition though, the, the, the caveat is that the reason to combine must be there, right? So if it's traveling, for example, then you've got to be a traveler. And if it's rain, then it best be raining at that time. And the problem or due to the rain, got to be there. But well, that's of course assumed. So the point is, is that you finish the first prayer and whatever. Now, I want to say that it's good practice. I'm with Sheikh Uthameen, that's a class position as well. But I do want to tell you that from a practicing Muslim point of view, I think it is essential for a Muslim to be very aware of their niyyah and practice being focused on these things all the time, train themselves to always make multiple intentions. And if you are like that and not so kind of lazy where you're just kind of doing things off on the fly, you'll be able to find that you make your day work for you better, you make your acts of worship double up in different things. So it's a good practice that you should be aware of intention. And it's a safer practice as well. I've spoken about this in the first few years when we were talking about ghusl, that the big issue that people don't understand is that ghusl is an act of ibadah, right? And because people make ghusl all the time, showering every day, every night, people have lost the skill of actually, uh, you know, turning things into an actual, uh, you know, remembering as an act of worship, right? Um, we're going to be speaking a lot about this point in the next few weeks when inshallah the fiqh of death is going to be released at the end of this month and one of the most um and what you find nearly all the time is uh, and in 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 that we have a very detailed section uh, uh on uh medicines illnesses sicknesses and uh and self-treatment medication ruqya we, we finished a text yesterday called Nur al-Basair and this Nur al-Basair is a Hanbali text and it actually closed, imagine a whole fiqh text and it closed on this subject, the danger of medication. The danger of medication is not the danger of medication itself, it's the danger of the attitude and the mindset that's created when you keep using medication and you keep going to the doctor and you keep forgetting that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that sends all these conditions down to test to see what your natural reaction is. And I'm talking scholars and very practicing Muslims, whatever, whatnot. They get a headache, they're straight to the paracetamol without even any mention of just, you know, trying to recite Fatiha. 
trying to make a sti'ad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mimma ajid wa uhadir. Yani any of the ahadith that the Prophet sallallahu would go to immediately is straight to the paracetamol. Listen, I'm, <laughs> medicine is my thing. But make the dua first. If it didn't work, it's not your moment to, to do that. Then Allah puts the cure in something else. Go and take the paracetamol. Go and take the ibuprofen. There's a ladder, isn't it? We call it the pain ladder. The pain-killing ladder. You start at the bottom paracetamol, then cocoa or ibuprofen, cocoa all the way till, you know, the crazy ones. Yeah? There's something before that. People forget that the first rung is to just yani, make self-ruqya. This used to be the sunnah of the Prophet Now, why does that happen? What, because people aren't practicing or they don't believe it's all from Allah? Of course they do. But because they become lazy and forget that these are acts of ibadah. So I always say that when it comes to actualization and visualizing and all that kind of you know, buzzwords, these are very, very important for the practicing Muslim to visualize and actualize the, the next steps plan out the day and how you're going to turn it into acts of worship. If you need to make a ghusl, I need to be clear. I'm making that intention now in case I forget it later. This is going to be an ibadah thing and the like. So, so, um, Sheikh then gives an example, by the way, of a situation. He goes, if there was, uh, uh, there's a group of people and they're all travelers and the sun sets and Salatul Maghrib, they uh, start the prayer and they don't make the intention for combining. Then in the middle of Salatul Maghrib, they uh, uh, say, you know what, it's going to suit us a lot to actually pray Isha as well. According to the Madhab, not permissible. They're not allowed to pray Isha afterwards. As for our opinion, then this is permissible. And this is also the famous position of Ibn Taymiyyah. And what Ibn Taymiyyah said is going to become actually quite, inst quite instructive when it comes to the issue of combining. You're going to find it very useful. So anyway, this was the opinion of Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah alayhi rahmatullah. All right. Um, and like Shah said, right? The, the, the other example that the Shaykh gives, he goes that a person prays Maghrib, right? If you want to understand the logic behind this position, there's no rain, okay? Then he prays Maghrib, and then it starts to rain very, very heavily, right? So that's when you look outside this and you say, this is super heavy, you know, you're, you understand the clouds, you understand the local weather, you know when it's a heavy one, when it's a light one. And you realize, listen, to come back for the jama'ah, for the people is not good. The imam's got to be aware of that. Or someone's got to tell him. So he turns around and he goes, guys, you know what? Not a good idea for us to come back in an hour and a half when it's going to be dark and X, Y, Z. We're going to pray Isha now. I mean, according to the Hanbalis, this wouldn't be allowed. Well, what's the point of the concession in the first place? You get my point? That's what shows the strength of this uh, position. Um, the second condition is that it's got to be continuous, right? This is the famous one. People ask about this all the time. People are asking about this question last week as well, which is why I didn't answer it. That if you're going to combine, you've got to combine straight after the prayer that you're combining. So if we're going to do Maghrib and Isha, it's got to be straight after. Um, and you can't leave gaps. What did the... Uh, author say, the author said that you can't leave a gap other than for a quick iqamah. Now the iqamah is something which is a highly emphasized sunnah. Okay, we covered that. Yeah, no, that's our class position. Some said it's obligatory. But to give the iqamah for the salah, it should be done even if you're praying by yourself. Yeah? And so obviously we've got to give time for that then. But also, um, when you call, I just want to say, and the text says, but other than enough, it's got to be immediately after other than how long it takes to make iqamah and a quick wudu. 
Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go and make wudu, but it's assuming in the most minimum time what are the most obligatory things that are going to be required, and in their opinion, it's to give the iqama. And for someone who obviously is, you know, needed to go to the toilet or needs to make wudu very quickly, then we're going to give that time. But that time is not considered to be time. It's like seen as an obligatory kind of, you know, minimum interval anyway. It's not even being called time. In actual fact, this is a really useful lesson for you folks. This would be considered to be together when it's clearly not. So even though there's five minutes in between, it's actually considered to be joined. And that's because the urf recognizes that when we say pray together, we don't mean, you know, when we say we're going to combine, do you believe? Nobody believes that. But that's what combining means, right? If we were going to be literal about it. And when you therefore hear a scholar say, but no, there's got to be time for people to say astaghfirullah three times at least, stand up, get in line again, move around a bit. Some of the people will, you know, leave the lines, won't they? Yeah, some don't want, won't, won't want to do it. Some people want to go back and say, you know, I'm okay, I'm, I'm, I live inside the masjid. The caretaker might not want to pray, for example, yeah? And then, uh, blah, 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 iqama time, someone will have run off and give wudu. According to the scholars, this is together. And the reason why I say that's important is because people get very literal when they're talking about fiqh, and actually a lot of fiqh is not so literal. Yeah, Hamza. So, do you mean according to the Hanbalis or according to our class position? Oh, that's coming, that's, that's coming. Yeah, that's going to be fun, all right? So, uh, uh, so you can't, uh, so the, the, the Hanbalis are only allowing, you know, basically no time. Just iqama and wudu, right? Um, and if you did that, then what happens? If you, sorry, uh, if you didn't pray it together, then that combining is invalidated. And then it says, he doesn't, uh, the, the text says the combining will be invalidated if one prays the formal sunan prayers in between, the rawatib, right? So the rawatib prayers, like classically after dhuhr, you should pray at least two and maybe four. Sunnah prayers, yeah, two and two. If you prayed your two sunnah after dhuhr prayer and then prayed the asr prayer because you were combining, according to the Hanbalis, you have uh, thingied your prayer, invalidated the combining of the prayer. You don't have the right to combine, okay? So, and listen to the, uh, the thinking behind this. So, and for example, Sheikh says, if he prays Maghrib and he prays the two sunnah after Maghrib, he cannot pray Isha. He basically has disqualified himself from now bringing Isha forward because the gap is now too long. It's not combining now. It's a gap, which is too much. Whereas a gap for the Iqama quick one was not a gap too much. So follow this thread. Yeah. Okay. Then Sheikh says, uh, he goes, what about a person who uh, what about, so, that, so, so he goes, between Maghrib and Isha, the guy prayed Sunnah of Maghrib and, he, and he, was, he invalidated his scenario. Okay, what about if he prays an obligatory prayer? Will he invalidate his situation? 
What would be what would be an obligatory prayer? Miss prayer. prayer. Which one? Asr. Yeah. So he's he forgot about Asr completely. Happens. Coming to the masjid, prayed Maghrib. Subhanallah, forgot to do uh, Asr. Or as Sheikh says, he goes that he remembers that he did pray Asr, but he didn't have wudu. Right? He didn't have wudu. So he then prays the Asr, which he's meant to. He prays the Maghrib, the Asr. It has to be prayed as soon as you remember it, right? So it's now come after the Maghrib. So that's the obligatory prayer. Then he prays Isha prayer. According to Hanbali, it's not possible. Yeah? Not allowed. Is that clear? Um, to, to pray the Isha, correct. He doesn't have the permission to pray the Isha prayer because what he's brought into it is even worse, actually. Sheikh Uthameen says that the reason it's worse is because there's a sliding scale here. At least when you invalidated the chance of praying Isha, when you prayed the two Sunnah of Maghrib, this is even worse because you brought a foreign prayer. You've got, you brought a foreign agent into the issue. It's not even connected to Maghrib. It's Asr that you brought in. Like you completely destroyed the kind of the flow, almost. That's according to uh, Sheikh Uthameen. And then he goes, and what about a person who prayed uh, 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 had, uh, uh, this is uh, uh, those people who go Umrah and Hajj with me, and I, when we are speaking about this, I mention this point to them every single time, because we are musafir. We are when we are in Medina, we're there like you know for less than according to the most flexible, the most uh, uh, not flexible liberal, the most liberal understanding of times you know for iqama for residency, yeah. Because if you're a Hanafi, then the whole trip is always going to be as a traveler because they want 15 days, right? But if you go with like something like some of the Hanabil or some of the Shafi'is, they said 20 prayers. Now, either way, whatever happens, you're definitely going to be a, a traveler in Medina, in Mecca. And people are like, are you kidding me? I paid the annual two, three grand only to come and pray as much Sunnah Nafal as that I can possibly do to pick up all the hundred thousands and the thousands and the thousands and you're telling me and you know what it's sunnah to not be praying any uh, sunnah prayers and the like and I'm saying no again this is going back to the point we just made this is about how locked in you are with your niyyah because you'll find the people what do they do as soon as they finish maghrib they jump straight up because they're just on autopilot aren't they that's the shame is that they go and they're not actually having a proper spiritual kind of experience or an educational one and they're just on autopilot from back home they finish the Maghrib, jump straight up, and straight into the two Sunnah of Maghrib. And they finish the Isha, they jump straight up, and they pray the two Sunnah of thingy. And the worst, even worse than that, is that they then stand up and they pray Isha, uh, uh, sorry, Witter. Which is the craziest thing, because they're never going to be in a time and a place where it's so easy for them. There's a guy and who wakes you up literally one hour before Fajr with his Adhan, saying, get up and pray Witter right now. Nowhere else in the world does that happen. And so you like, you know, people panic and think, oh my God, you know, I'm late. And then they go in and they realize that they still got an hour left of Fajr. So everybody, and you know that nowadays it's so busy that if you don't get to the masjid before the start time, you're not getting in. So why are you praying your witr? The only reason is because it's on cruise control. And how many of these people, they repeat their witr again in the, in the, in the tahajjud time, but they prayed it before because it's just the automatic process. Horrible, dead prayer, no, no presence of mind, no presence of heart, standard. Anyway, so the point is, is that we're telling all of the folks that come with us that, listen, what's a really important opportunity right now is to become in control of your intention and to understand that your intention is not only an act of worship, it mustn't be 
you mustn't doubt the power of your intention just because the result and action is exactly the same. So if you really want to pray because you love the idea of praying after Maghrib, bro, the Sunnah has got lots and lots for you to offer. The, the, the Sunnah is not to pray the two associated Sunnah of Maghrib. But after Maghrib until Isha is a time of open nafal prayers. So you can stand straight up if you want. But have it in your head that I'm not praying the Sunnah of Maghrib. I'm praying two nafal, mutlaq, open, just for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're getting more reward for those two than praying the two actual Sunnah which the Prophet ﷺ never left praying. But in traveling, he didn't pray them. Right? Likewise, if you're really up for it, then so many of the Salaf and the Sahaba used to pray Salatul Awwabin in this time, which is at least six raka'at, according to some of them. Some said it's at Doha time. But between Maghrib and Isha is a real great time to take advantage of praying. And anyone who's obviously with us in Makkah at that time, we always advise the prayers to be done. Because strategy is important when you're in Makkah. Different when you're in Medina. Makkah is high stakes. In our program, our Medina is all about learning and, and learning and learning and learning and study and touring and learning. And then Makkah is all about application. And the reason it's high stakes is because every prayer is 100,000. But then, on the other hand, you've got something which is actually better than 100,000 units of prayer, which is crazy if you think about it. Right? You could, like when you think of, you know, when people think in a very quantitative way about life, especially if they think about Salah in a quantitative fashion. I keep telling them, bro, on the final day when you're in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it won't be numbers that's going to let you down. It won't be numbers. Like every pack is there on 27th night. It's not going to be numbers, is it? They're going to have their thousand nights of worship. They're going to have their trillions in terms of, because everyone at least at some point is going to go and knock out 20, 30, 40, 50 prayers in jama'ah with the imam. So it's not, it's not 100,000, it's 2.7 million for each prayer that you make in jama'ah. 27 times the reward of the prayer. So if you're looking at units, a week is 12, is 60 million units of reward. A week in, uh, in or five days, sorry, in Jama'ah. Like, silly numbers. Your problem is not going to be numbers on the Day of Judgment. The Prophet ﷺ in the hadith of Sahih ibn Hibban, when he said to the Prophet ﷺ, when the Prophet ﷺ said that, the, that Allah would tell the angels, bring out the, the prayer, he described the, the obligatory prayer the way that he described the obligatory prayer was not that there's not enough in there, but that they were deficient, naqas, like holes and messed up and mistakes and mindlessness and rubbish, yani, you know what I mean? Then when the person says, I'm destroyed, I'm destroyed, then Allah will say to the angels, now reach into his nafal bank. And the way that it's described is like yani, a Play-Doh situation, like take it all out and model it and fix it and polyfiller it and all the rest of it. You know what I mean? Build it up. Not a quantity issue. It's going to be quality. So if you understand that, then you understand that when you're in Mecca, 100,000 is there. And you think, well, you know what? Cheeky two here will work out for me. But the actual best act is tawaf. And the reward for tawaf is far more than the reward for 100,000 rewards. The Prophet said that every step is an ajar. Every step is a removal of a sin. Every step is a raising of your status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the whole thing, seven meaning, which is, how many steps did we calculate? That about 7,000 or something, yeah? Five point six kilometers. That's the, the, the big one, yeah? Six odd kilometers. If you're doing all the weaving around, it could be six and a half, yeah? Bro, it's silly money, we're talking like 10,000 steps, 7,000 steps. You start doing the sums. 
seven of those, the freeing of a slave. And more than that is conceptually, this is the only act of worship that can only happen anywhere else in the world. Just here, that's it. Everything else can happen anywhere, right? And so therefore, strategy, planning your day and being clear that some parts of the day are going to be for tawaf, other times are going to be for salat. You know that you can't pray after asr prayer, <coughs> right? So khalas, that's the time you smash tawaf, right? You know that to make tawaf, anybody knows, between Maghrib and Isha, you might as well slap yourself silly. Yeah, and you'll move all of like 10 steps, okay? So khalas, get yourself into a corner, smash out the, the nafal prayers, yeah? So the praying of a prayer in the place of a one that is already a, an, an established one doesn't mean it's the same thing. Your intention turns it into something entirely different. Anyway, the point that Sheikh is making is that when you pray these two nafal prayers, is that better or worse? He goes, that's even worse as well. He goes, because you've actually brought something even more foreign into the scenario. We're talking about losing the right to combine between Maghrib and Isha. He goes, at least if you prayed the two sunnah prayers, it's sunnah of Maghrib. He goes, now you're bringing nafal that I haven't even got anything to do with Maghrib. It's similar to the Asr scenario. Does that make sense? Yeah, so he goes, even that, yani, whatever. Anyway, yeah. He goes, as for Sheikh Al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, our guy, yeah, what's he going to say? He said, there is no condition to have continuity between the prayers. Now, this is fascinating. Okay? Situation, is that 101 or one? Yeah. Um, he said that it is, not con- it is not a condition to have al-muwala. Al-muwala means continuity between the two prayers that you are combining. Okay? And what he said now is so important, and I really want it to sink in. He said, when you combine, he goes, you're not combining prayers, you're combining times. This is a big statement. This is like a headline uh, deen establishing statement. Yeah, when the big Usuluddin statements. He goes that what you're doing is combining the time. And so the time that was separated now has become one. Right? One kind of more nebulous type of time period. Okay? It's not the actions within the time that is combined. It's the time, you, the time period itself that has been combined. Therefore, it is permissible for a person to pray Zohar, he's Musafir, and he prays Zohar in the beginning time of Zohar, and then, sorry, sorry, beg pardon. Uh, so he goes, yeah, he goes, there could be a person that um, he's at home and he's not planning to go anywhere and it's Dhuhr time and he prays Dhuhr and then he realizes I've got to travel. I've got to travel. So he's like gone into a call, half an hour has gone by, they said, listen, you've got to get here straight away. But okay, he goes, all right, khalas, I'm there. So then he looks, he's got still two hours left until Asr time. According to Ibn Taymiyyah, he can pray his Asr right now. Now, according to the Hanabila, he can't pray his Asr at all. How many reasons? How many reasons? Four. four reasons. Okay, let's hear the four reasons. <laughs> okay, one re- first reason, two reasons. Good. First reason? No intention before. No intention before the beginning of the first prayer. And the time gap. And a, and a time gap as well. 
But actually, uh, it's more than that, yeah? He said uh, two reasons. Actually, it is uh, three reasons. What's the third reason? That, that's, what, that's what he said. There's no continuity. What's the other reason? Huh? The rain. No, no. Why would the Hanabila not allow this? No, no, no. There was what? Correct, correct. The, the reason was not there at the time of the first one. Yeah, the reason has to be there, right? And so for all of these reasons, the Hanbalis would say no. And that's how significant this statement by Ibn Taymiyyah is. When he's saying that the situation is all about, yani, when you're, when, that basically what he's saying is that when a person is given legal concession, that's activated by an emergency, an illness, a problem, journey, rain, when that happens, its impact is what? It turns the time into one kind of zone. And you get three of these time zones in the day, right? And he's taking it back to the fundamental structure of the day. So it's the Fajr until Dhuhr. And then from the Dhuhr, which is the sun yani setting first, and then the sun setting second, which is Maghrib. So the sun gets all the way to that level, and then it goes down, right? And then it gets to the horizon, then it goes down. These are the two settings of the sun. The second one is not even a setting, actually, because it's not setting anywhere. It's still going around. But the first setting really is a setting because it goes all the way up, and then it falls, right? Whereas in the next one, well, well, the, the actual sunset that we call sunset, that's not actually a sunset, is it? It's a sun disappearance, right? Anyway, um, that's the second time period. And then the third time period is then all the evening time until morning. Now, why is this very interesting? Well, obviously, it gives us the concessions that we've seen in it when it comes to combining. But it also, and this is why Ibn Taymiyyah, he was so far ahead of his time. I think what Ibn Taymiyyah means by this statement and using these three common sense portions of the day, that he wants to also say that just generally, the flip over, not the flip over, the handover in these time periods is a flexible matter as well. Now, like, stop for a second and think about this. In the Hanafi school, people who never differed, meaning Abu Hanifa and his students, they differed on this issue of when does the Asr start and when does the Zuhr end. We all know, we call it Hanafi Asr and Shafi Asr, don't we? Yeah, or even, we don't even call it, we call it Pak Asr and Arab Asr, isn't it? Yeah, or we call it Hanafi Asr and all the rest Asr. Like, you see, now, what's really interesting is that, obviously, if you're talking about Hanafi Asr, Shafi Asr, it basically means Hanafi end time for Zuhr, Hanafi, uh, as, uh, Shafi'i, end time for Dhuhr. Yeah, we covered this. And the evidences are there to support each side. But when you look at what is the defining criteria to go to do the handover, what is it? What is it, folks? Huh? A shadow. A shadow. Who is going to get it accurate? On that, right now, the shadow is مِثْلِ مَا كَانِ يَعْنِ عِنْدَ You know, one, one length plus what was there at the beginning. Who's going to even remember what it was there at the beginning plus the length, and then when it becomes double? How are you going to get that right? You get my point? And what Ibn Taymiyyah is kind of saying, he's saying that, you know what? These times, 
is like one time that has been defined, divided into two, but that middle period is a gray period and there's some flexibility. It's not like the handover between Asr and Maghrib. It's not like the handover between Isha and Fajr. There's a fantastic break between them. Where's the other massive controversy, folks? Between Maghrib and Isha. What's the defining factor there, folks? Color of the sky, bro. Come on. There's a bit of redness. Yeah, and he, uh, the, the, the redness has disappeared. Now the whiteness, has the whiteness disappeared yet? They're, that's, what they're, that's what they're talking about. And if that's not a judgment call, what is? Come and uh, see the fatwas that we pass in June, July, August when we're going outside, right? <coughs> I remember, subhanAllah, when we were the, you know, it, bro, it's crazy that we're already into March. Yeah? Uh, uh, Ramadan, I mean. Uh, 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 no, 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 no. Bro, I'm already in Ramadan mode. I'm thinking straight. Bro, I'm not even joking. It feels like yesterday that we were fasting in July, bro. It's crazy. We were making tobas tawfar. How are we going to get through it? Subhanallah, we got through it. Right? I mean, for, for, I mean some of you. For us, it's our second time round. Worst if I know, it's definitely your second time round. Yeah? But we did it when we were 10, 9, 7, the whole summer, madness. Yeah? And then we got lumped with it again in our 40s. Yes? And we thought, is it ever going to end? Next time when it comes around, we'll be dead anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> right? But we got hit with it twice hardcore. And I can remember, subhanAllah, that when we would be driving to, uh, uh, to Taraweeh, Bukhari Center, the only thing that we're doing is just looking at the sky. Is it dark enough yet? Is it dark enough yet? Can we justify praying Isha so early? Flipping 11 o'clock in it, right? And obviously... You know, those that were trying to go Hanafi style, they were saying like, no, 11.40, 11.45, and I laugh, mate. Isha, and then Taraweeh after that, whereas we're like, you know, and we have Sheikh Ahlan with us in the car, and he'd be like, yeah, that's Isha time. Bro, it's like, I swear to you, it was so red outside. It was so red outside. And like about 55 minutes have gone from Maghrib. He goes, yeah, yeah, we're going to pray. We're having a laugh, mate. We'd go there to Bukhari Center, we'd kind of delay him. You know, we'd say that. <laughs> We'd start messing about, Sheikh, we'd get the tea out, should we do this, should we do that? You know, just to try, just to artificially push the Isha back, it's obvious. But the point remains, the dividing factor between Maghrib and Isha is entirely a subjective exercise. And the opinions of the scholars reflect that. Some said, Al-Shafaq Al-Ahmar, and the Shafaq Al-Abyad, right? The twilight. And the whatever. So, what Ibn Taymiyyah produces with this position is that he's saying that when you combine, it now has gone back to its default single time zone. Whenever you pray, however much gap you leave, it's all good. This is in the combining scenario. And outside of combining zero, uh, the combining, from our own pocket, I just want to say that if a person is in a difficult situation with their dhuhr, and their, their, their time, I want to say to them that it's similar to like all those Hanafis who feel like I'm Qatta Hanafi, I'm so Hanafi that you have never believed how Hanafi I am. And then, Sheikh, can I pray Asr with the Masjid that they're praying early? They drop their Hanafi card so quick. Yara, I'm Hanafi, Magar, yani we're praying at 7.30 and Asr. 
and these lot are praying five, I could pray with them five, and that's sorted by it's, yeah, it's Salafi mosque, it's Ahl Hadith mosque, it's Shafi'i mosque, whatever, whatnot. And you find them left, right, and center praying uh, 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 Asr at the earlier time. The truth is what? That there is a crossover period, and if a person's praying a bit late, I think they can relax a little bit, and if a person's not praying so late, then they can as well. Anyway, um, I think we will... Okay, and so therefore, um, we can conclude... Where's my pen? Um, then Sheikh says that Sheikh al-Islam also actually mentioned that this has been stated on the authority of, of Imam Ahmed as well. I know where that is, I've not read it, but that's what Ibn Taymiyyah claimed, that he's got definitive text that this used to be the position of Imam Ahmed as well, in that it is flexible, that the time is what's combined, not the actions, and therefore you can leave a gap in between them. Okay? Um, but Sheikh Uthameen concludes this statement. He goes, but the safer position is to pray them together. All right? Now, I want to say as a class position that I agree with that. I do think that you should pray the prayers together and keep them together as much as you can. But if there's a need for you, then you know that the matter is flexible. That's the class position. Exactly what Sheikh Uthameen says. That the safer position is to stick to what the understanding of combining means, which is to have things together. Magar, if there is a reason or a need to, to have a gap in between, know that your combining was valid, even if there was two hours between the prayers, even if there was an hour between the prayers, even if there's half an hour, your combining is valid. Your bringing the latter prayer earlier is valid, and your pushing the other one, whatever, is valid. If you can, try to keep them together. I like that. Sheikh then he ends, which is a weird point. I don't know why, or maybe someone asked him just when he finished this section. He goes, uh, there's an issue. He goes, if there's a guy who leaves his home, <laughs> this is crazy. He goes and he, uh, he uh, 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 the airport's out of town, and he gets to the airport, and he gets there right in time for his flight, and he gets on the plane, and it's time for salah. He's going to be praying shortened prayer. He goes, the thing is, he goes, is that the way that the airport is, is that they've done the old return behavior, circled up to, you know, they do a circle, they go in the wrong direction, don't they? Then they come round. He goes, as it circled, it came right above his house. <laughs> yeah? So he goes, at that moment, he's in the prayer. He made the, the intention to pray dhuhr as two, because that's what it's time. Does he now have to pray for and complete it? Which we've been covering, remember? Don't forget, we covered that last month, whatever. But we never thought of this scenario. And Sheikh says, and he takes it quite seriously. Yep. Well, this is, well, this is, yani, he goes, يعني, he goes that the air is connected to that the air, meaning what's above, is connected to what is thingy. That, uh, legally, by the way, isn't that the case? Or is there a limit? Well, there is a limit because you can't fly your drone in your garden, for example, above, you know, a thousand foot or something. No, but you still, you have like, say, in property law, there's different areas of things where like, they have skyscrapers, they will sell, somebody has a building, yeah. say, and they will sell their vertical right. Their property is only single, double story, so they'll send their vertical right to the next door so you can build a property. Those really high, and you can go across onto mine. You know those buildings that jut out. Yeah. That's because this guy said, "Oh yeah, we can have." Can no, have no, not a chance. Yeah. Not a chance. You buy a place for all the no, that no <laughs> buying. Wait one second. 
what you just what you just described is me selling my right to continue building straight up. I'm not selling the space. I'm selling the fact that I can't build anymore. The reason I know is because I got done by my neighbor on this point. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's exactly what happened, isn't it? They went in and I, then they, they, they said to me afterwards, oh, sorry, we didn't know. Sorry, flipping didn't know. So anyway, you understand my point or not? You're selling your right. You're not, it's not, it's not, you don't own the space or whatever, but they can't do it because you are meant to continue building on your property. It's not like you can't, for example, make a kabza of the air. Like, you know, I don't know if that was possible, but imagine it was possible to have a, to, to have a 20 meter gap above your house and then create a floating behavior which you access via one of these remote drones kind of, you know, you'd go up and like, you know, like a, a man cave in the sky. You can't do that. Impossible. But if you were able to build all the way up. You own the rights to your airspace. Bro. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have the right at all, bro. You just contradict yourself literally in the same sentence. You have the rights. Actually, the Huh? But what's happening? They're selling their right. They're selling their, my right to continue building. So it's not, I'm not selling the airspace. So are you saying that guy, I'm here, I sold this airspace. Yes. To the guy that, next door. I go into that building. <laughs> so the reason, I can't, the reason I can't do that is because I'm going to be encroaching on someone else's. <laughs> so anyway, the point is, do you need to continue? Do you need to complete the prayer? Sheikh, as I said, took it very uh, uh, seriously. He goes, what seems clear to me is that he is not obligated to complete the prayer. Huh? That's why what? You can or can't? Listen, the only person I care about is Marzita. Okay? She is the, only, the chief architect, okay? You know, not you, all right? And she said, you don't own the air above your house. That's why the electric phone lines can cut across it. Allahu Akbar! 100%. All Tringham's finest, by the way. Okay? That's right. So, so. And then the airplanes won't be able to fly over it. 100%, bro. What a man. You, the airspace is yours. How high? What's the limits? Lala said the crown owns it anyway. He's all over the place at the moment. Don't worry. He'll, he'll, he'll come to a decision. He'll, 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 he'll make a decision soon. Don't worry. So, exactly. If we could own the air, then some packs would have found a way to sell it by now. It's true. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, but what they what 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 they what they what they're selling is the same as like you know Saad uh, 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 Khan making deals with film companies to I'm going to empty the streets you're going to pay us two million you can shoot your scene what what, what is that is there a rule that people can't think but there are temporary but that's my point so likewise there's a there's a it's like the people who are building all those underground sellers. Uh, and as a result of underground sellers, they've got to bring in big machinery, this, that, whatever. How much does it freak out the neighbors? That's the whole point. That, that, that's the whole point. Meaning that 
when you as part of your work or part of your whatever are disturbing other people, getting in their way, causing convenience, people take payment for that. People take payment. Correct, it's their property, but it's not because you own the air. You've, uh, you've encroached on their land that they could build on. So one second, first of all, are you now with the crown or you're with the, which one have you decided? Which one? Okay, so are you back on the opinion that you do own the airspace? Okay, how much airspace? Man, I'm not making enough money because those planes fly over my airspace every single day. I'm so glad you told me this. I'm going to be a billionaire tomorrow. Get out of here, Yara. Honestly. <laughs> now, he said that he, he, he uh, carries on with Qasr. He doesn't need to complete the prayer. He doesn't need to complete the prayer. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll be in trouble because all of us are behind doing that, that, whole, that whole move. All right. Um, Let's have a look now very quickly because we've actually gone over our time. If, one need, if needs be, can one pray Asr 10 minutes before Maghrib? No, 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 they can. They should pray Maghrib yani, with, straight away. A question about factors one considers when deciding whether to combine or not. For a woman who prays Dhuhr at home and then goes out, but won't be back to pray Asr in its time. Should she combine both prayers at home to avoid praying in public if she might feel vulnerable and distracted praying in public alone? I think that's what she should do if this is like a one-off scenario. It can't just be every time I'm going out, this is what I'm going to do. But yes, this is something that will be allowed. Okay? So here and there for certain situations. Uh, when on Umrah, is it better to leave the Sunnah prayers as you're considered a traveler? Rather, it is better to focus on Nawafil prayers. Yes, this is what we've been covering. Absolutely 100%. You pray Nafil prayers, not the thing. And what's the, the class position on Rawatib when combining? I don't see why if you have time you wouldn't pray rawatib when combining. Well, the, the truth is, is that you will be very unlikely to be praying uh, rawatib if you are combining because you've got some kind of excuse. If you're sick, then the whole point is to not make you pray. If you're traveling, you wouldn't be praying in the first place. If it's rain, then it's a matter of urgency. So it is actually not right to be praying rawatib before in between prayers. Okay? Yani, what I'm trying to say, if you've got time, to be chilling to pray rawatib. You're probably not the kind of emergency situation guy who needs to be combining in the first place. Yeah? And so if you combine in general, what I'd says, to keep the prayers together, should you not say your 33, 33, 34 Um So we're going to come to this next week, inshallah. We're going to talk about yani, the, the parameters of what it actually uh, 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 means. Yeah? Uh, what else? Yeah. We'll have so time. One about the Salah and the Janabi Salah. Should we call that Hussein? No. Combining them to Hussein. Yeah, no. According to the Hamli Madhab, um, yeah, Nazif will ask about, we will do this, the tasbih and everything, we'll do that at the end, inshallah, next week, I mean. So according to the Hamli Madhab, if a few people are making wudu after Dhuhr and you decide to pray two raka'ah whilst waiting, you cannot combine but they can, correct, yeah, according to the Hanbalis, that could technically be the scenario. All right, guys. Barakallahu feekum. Wa jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Shadu wa la ilaha 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 ila